Good morning. Our Bible reading this morning is found in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 through to 8. So starting at James 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. This is titled Trials and Temptations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. This is the word of the Lord. It is great to be uh, back amongst the Wangaratta family. For those that don't know me, I'm Robert Heyman. I'm a, I work for the Baptist Union as a regional pastor. And so I get the privilege of traveling around many Baptist churches and uh, meeting and sharing and, and encouraging. So on, on behalf of the, the wider Baptist Union, let me bring you greetings. It's a, it, it's a, it's a great union of churches and uh, Every church is different. I often get greeted with, we're not the typical Baptist church. I'm yet to find a typical Baptist church. I'm still looking for one. Um, There isn't a typical Baptist church. We're all such a a wide variety of churches, and that's what brings such unity, and and it's it's great. And uh, Aaron's asked me to share on James 1 this morning and and to sort of launch this series as, as we go through James which is about bringing hope. James is a, is a great book. It starts with a description. If I was to give you a bit of paper and a pen and say, I'm about to introduce you, write down how you would describe yourself. What words would you put on that paper? What words would you want to be known by? It's not what other people think you are. It's the introduction that you would write about yourself. For me, I might write things like, a loving husband and father, the best grandfather around, you know, a tragic Richmond supporter who is uh, very excited still and uh, will continue to be for a while longer. I might write, not a very good golfer, but enjoys that walk that is spoilt every day when I look for my ball where it shouldn't be. There's all sorts of things we could write, some serious, some not so serious. James writes this, James a servant of God. That's how he describes himself. He's not a servant of anything else. He's not a servant of money. He's not a servant of of making sure he has the most toys in the toy box at the end of his life. He's a servant of God. He's not about being the most popular. He's a servant of God. He's not about being known the most. It's not about what he's achieved or what he thinks he can achieve. He's a servant of God. This servant who performs tasks for others. This servant who who puts his own desires underneath those that he's serving. So he's not if he's a servant of God, he's saying, It's not what I want to do, it's what God wants me to do. That's what I'm called to do. This servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. So so this book of James is not written to the community. It's not written to those 
who don't know Jesus. It's written to the 12 tribes. It's written to those who profess to be followers of Jesus. Those who have some connection with the people of Israel. To those who are saying, hey, this heritage that I'm a part of is really important. So James sets this this whole book as saying, I'm a servant of God. My role is to do what God wants me to do. And I'm going to share some stuff with you, the people of God. Some of the stuff in this book is, uh, I'm not going to say some of it, most of it, all of it, is challenging. It's not easy. But if we want to bring hope into a community, we've got to get this stuff under control. If we're going to be the carriers of hope, then we've got to make sure we've got hope ourselves. There's not many people who can do something, who can teach on something or bring something that they know nothing about. Some of you may come up to me and say, I've read lots of things about golf. I watch the the golf on TV all the time. Let me give you a few hints. I've never picked up a golf club in my life, but I'm sure I can give you a few hints. I'm going to go, because I'm polite and uh, I'm a servant, I'll go, sure, tell me. But in the back of my head, I'm going to go, my goodness, really? And if we want to go into the community and say, you know, there is hope. We've got to be carriers of that hope within ourselves. We've got to experience that hope ourselves. We've got to know that hope ourselves. And James wants to outline some of that. And he says, as a starting point, here it is, guys. Here's, here's, here's what you need to know. Consider it pure joy when everything's going. Consider it fantastic when life is looking pretty terrible. Jump up and down with excitement when life looks hopeless. I don't know about you, but when life's tough and there's troubles and trials, I've got to work really hard at considering it joyful. I know in my head that when it all finishes and and, and the trials have gone, I'll be able to look back and I'll be able to go, boy, I learned some lessons. Boy, I've grown in that. But this passage sort of refers to the fact that consider it all joy when trials come your way not after trials have gone not after you've persevered but in the midst of it consider it joy consider it this is fantastic because here is a chance for me to grow here is a chance for me to rely on God here is a chance for me to live out my hope that is within me consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters when trials come your way because when that happens perseverance it says in verse 4 must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete you know perseverance in the middle of trial i'd love to say it's easy but when it when perseverance finishes its work then your life is different you are different because you actually recognize the hope within you as a servant of god and you've changed and you've grown I'm going to try and get through the whole chapter, and there's no, I can't, oh, I can't see a clock. What a pity. Anyway, we'll see how we go. So I'm going to push through reasonably quickly, but I want to get to the, uh, get to the end if I can. So as a servant of God, we persevere through times of trouble because that brings out maturity. That brings out who we are. That lays a foundation. I look at my life, and I have grown the most in my spiritual life through times of trouble through when I recognised I can't do it myself. I, I'm, I'm a very shy person, naturally. 
I'm just as happy to stand in the corner and watch the world and I am, I love it. The ultimate introvert. Here I am standing on stage in a job that requires me to meet people, talk to people and, and, and I, I love that too but it tires me out a little bit and I sort of go and crawl into a little corner by myself when everyone's gone and, and, and life goes on and I'm happy. But you know, this shy introverted person at the age of 14, was at a youth camp with a thousand people on the Gold Coast. I'd never been on a stage before apart from setting up a microphone before anyone turned up. That was my job. That's where I was comfortable. And I was sitting in this auditorium and the speaker gets up, who I knew, and my friend, Bill, says, before I start, I'm going to get someone to come and share how they met Jesus. I said, oh, this will be interesting. You know where this is going, don't you? I didn't. And he goes, I'm going to get Robert Heyman to come up and share. And I've gone, no, he's not. Not a chance. And I sort of just slunk in my seat. thousand people. He won't be able to find me. He didn't know where I am, where I sat. So I slunk in my seat. People going, hey, I'm going, shh, my friends. And so Bill wasn't content with that. He goes, Rob's a bit shy probably and he's probably hiding somewhere. So we need to encourage him. So let's start encouraging him. Robert, Robert, Rob. I'm going, kill Bill, kill Bill, I'm saying to myself. And, and suddenly my friends are doing this. I'm going, I'm not going to get away with this, am I? So I walk up onto stage, no preparation, no warning. And Bill goes, hi, Rob. I go, hi, Bill. I'd like to share with people how you met Jesus. Now, he, he knew a bit of my story and I was still coming to terms with this new relationship and I just shared. I hated the walk, I loved the sharing and I hated the walk off. But something happened in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that challenge that helped me grow, helped me to actually put into words my relationship with God for the very first time but it also planted a seed of hmm, maybe this is something that God wants me to do. When trials come your way, when you face something you don't think you can face, let me tell you, God has a purpose for that in the midst of it. You might say, this is, did, did he, did he, does he bring that bad stuff on? No, he doesn't bring that bad stuff on. But he uses everything for his glory. Everything. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God. What do you reckon I was praying on the way up? I was going, God, <laughs> this is going to be interesting. When I'm talking one-on-one, I've got three words and that's about the end of my conversation and I've got nothing else to say. No one wants to listen to this sort of person. So I was praying for God to give me wisdom. And I know that it was only his words through me that made any sense because it was up to me. I would have just melted into a puddle and just been a waste of space. About seven, no, sorry, about, uh, about six or seven years later, I went to Bill and I said, Bill, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. And you know what his reaction was? (sighs) Finally. Really? I never would have guessed, he said. He saw it back then. He saw it back then. But that that journey wouldn't have begun if I hadn't grown in trials and people hadn't, hadn't sown into my life. I wouldn't be a carrier of the hope that is within me and a sharing of that hope within me if I hadn't grown through the trials if I hadn't seen what God could do in and through me. 
Did I get it right every time? No, I didn't get it right every time. Do I get it right every time now? Am I perfect now? Am I always ready now? No. But in the midst of challenges, I will see God at work in my life and he will continue to perfect and mature me. The, uh, the James passage, which I need to start flicking through a bit quicker, or we will be here until the evening service that doesn't really exist, and I'll create a new option for you. It'll be an evening service. In verse 19, it says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring anything, does not bring about righteous life for God. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, most of us here will instantly agree with that. We need to do what this book says. That's, that's what we're here for. We're here to learn more about what this book says and put into action. The, the passage goes on and says, well, you know, if you, if you look in a mirror and look at yourself and then walk away and forget what you look like, then that's pretty stupid, isn't it? That's a waste of space. But that's what it's like if you learn something and don't put it into action. This, this book is an amazing book. It has so much truth in it. Yet sometimes it's so hard to get the truth from here to here and then from here to here and then live it out. There's all these spaces where it just sort of gets lost and, and we learn stuff but we don't put it into action. If we want to be carriers of hope into our community, then we need to be complete and mature and lacking nothing. We need to be actually doers of the word. One of the hardest things and saddest things that I have dealt with in my, uh, in my years of, of being a pastor. I was a pastor at the Sale Church for 22 years. And Sale, unfortunately, there has been a number of significant church issues not so much in the Baptist church, but in other churches. So there's this group of believers in Sale and the area who love Jesus, but just cannot walk inside a church. And constantly I would meet people and they'd, they'd come to a service or I'd meet them and they'd, they, you could see them dip their toe in and they'd go, I love Jesus, but I'm really nervous about being here. I don't trust the church. I don't like the church. I definitely don't love the church. I love Jesus. But this church stuff where people are, mm, this people representative of God is sort of a bit... Mm. And we would sit with them. And many of them, thankfully, would trust us enough just to sit in the back row for a few months and we'd be able to just love them and support them and encourage them. Some of them, however, would just... They couldn't. They'd been so hurt by church. If we're going to be carriers of hope, we've got to live out this book well. People, people will fall in love with God when they see who God is very easily. But will they become a part of the family? Will they become a part of the family? That depends on the family. Every time there's a wedding, there's a new in-law. And how that in-law settles into the family depends on their attitude to the family and the family's attitude to them. We, we need to be that loving, accepting family regardless of who that person is and what they've done and what they talk like, what they look like. Carriers of hope say it does not matter what you're like. Go home and read Matthew 1. It's one of my favourite passages to preach on. Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus. 
so-and-so the son of so-and-so, so-and-so the son of so-and-so, so-and-so the son of so-and-so. It just goes on and on. Just a list of names. And if you're reading through the Bible, you get to that and you just go, stop and have a look at who's outside that pattern. People who are highlighted by Matthew. He He highlights all the people in Jesus' genealogy who are outside the kingdom, who were prostitutes. He can't even... He can't even bring to name Bathsheba. He just says David's wife or the wife of Uriah. Can't even bring to name it, but he mentions her. He doesn't have to. He could have just gone father, son of, uh, 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 but he actually highlights all these outsiders, all the scandalous ones that are in Jesus' genealogy. Why? Because that's who Jesus came for. Regardless of what they've done or what's been done to them, They are a part of the family of God. And as church, there are people in our community, in your community, who need to know they are loved regardless. doesn't matter if they've got nice clothes to wear and and, and can come and sit in our pew comfortably and smell nice and look nice and have nice conversations. Or whether life has been a little bit tough for them and they're still struggling to consider it joy, but they are loved by Jesus and we are the ones that give them hope we are the ones that carry hope to them and say here's some hope for you in the midst of your mess in the midst of your problems in the midst of your trials can I instill in you some hope that there is someone who loves you unconditionally there's someone who cares for you unconditionally And there's a family that can express that love for you and just wrap their arms around you. Churches, in my my experience, are really good, are really good at welcoming people on a Sunday morning. Regardless of who turns up, they're really good at welcoming people on the first Sunday morning. If they're a little bit different, they're given a whole lot of grace. The second Sunday morning... There's this little bit of expectation that they'll become a little bit more like us, a little bit nicer, a little bit neater, a little bit cleaner, a little bit middle class. By the third Sunday, that expectation rises again. By the sixth month, if you're not like one of us, then really you're not trying. My goodness, what does that say? Now, we'd all disagree with that, but I tell you, my struggle for 22 years, and this is confession time, My struggle for 22 years is to make sure I make a conscious choice after Sunday to talk with those who are on the fringe, who aren't neat and tidy, who are a bit awkward and and, and not like me. They don't think like me, they don't look like me, they don't act like me. And I have to make a conscious choice to go and talk to them. What does that say about me? Now, some of you have got this under control, I know. And I'm not being facetious. I know some of you are brilliant at it. But if you're a bit like me, check yourself. If you're going to be carriers of hope into the community, then you've got to express that hope to people who need it. The, the, the people who look like us, who are just as messed up, need the hope. But they seem to get it a lot easier because we're a lot more comfortable talking to them. So we can't do that unless we're servants of God, unless we actually get it right. So your servant does what they don't necessarily want to do but know what they need to do. I would much prefer to talk to people who are like-minded. But the servant says, 
I'll talk to the people who need to be loved, who need to hear that hope. This whole passage, if you look at it, step back and look at it, it's, it's sort of a little bit like the Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 passage that we know so well that says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's a very similar message, just a lot more succinct. And it sort of outlines three things. It outlines the work that God does for us, the work God does in us, and the work God does through us. The work God does for us is our starting point. You know, Jesus died on the cross for us. That's what he does in us. He, he matures us, he, he makes us, he prepares us. We were helpless and hopeless. That's our starting point. I, I, I love the story of, it's a long time ago now, of, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe 15, 20 years ago when Tony Bullimore, that solo sailor, was sailing around the world and he was off the, the West Australian coast, miles and miles off, and a mayday went out. And they flew over, they took forever to get to him and they finally got to a point where they could fly over him and they could see the upturned yacht in the middle of the Southern Ocean. There was virtually no hope. But the Navy ship just kept on going and going and going and finally got close enough to, to, get, to, to release a rescue boat and they went to the yacht and they banged on the upturned yacht. And if my memory serves me correct, Tony had found himself a dry spot in this upturned boat on the bottom of the bunk because the bunk was upside down. So he was sitting there and he heard this bang and he was wondering to himself, was that the waves? Was it something just banging around in the, in the ship? Or was it a rescuer? And he goes, well, I don't know. But he dove into the freezing water and swam out, knowing, knowing if it's not a rescuer, he's going to be dead in 20 minutes. There was nothing he could do to save himself. Nothing. God comes and bangs on our heart and says, are you willing to take the risk? That's what he does for us. That's why we become carriers of this hope. And then this, this work starts within our heart where we, we learn what the word is. We learn what the word does. And the trials come and we're slowly matured and we're slowly shaped and we're slowly formed into the person that God wants us to be, to do the works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. Now, a lot of us hear that and go, it's all right. I'm a work in progress. I haven't got anything to do until the progress is finished. Bow, bow. If you, you come and talk to me about that, I'm just going to go, you know what? You'll never be ready. I'm a work in progress. I'm still a work in progress. I've only been traveling with Jesus for about 44 years. So, so I'm not very far down the track. I've still got lots to learn, lots of growing, lots of, lots of rough edges to knock off me. But God will use me just as he used a 14-year-old who had no experience, nothing, as I allow him to use me. And he'll do great works through me because of what he's doing in me. That's our calling. I was reading earlier uh, in preparation for this one, earth, one author said, God builds our character before he calls us to service. He spent 25 years building up Abraham before he gave him his son. 13 years in Joseph's life building him up. 40 years in Moses' life 
And, and we hear that and we go, yes, there is this shaping over a long period. But does that mean they did nothing early on for God? Does that mean we do nothing until we arrive? No, it means we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trepidation. Do we get it all right? No, but we allow God to use us. I love the closing of this of this uh, chapter, which means it's the closing of my message and we'll all get a cup of tea in a minute. In verse 26 it says, If anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. There's a whole lot of, you know, there's another three messages just in there. What we do with our tongue, you know, one tongue, two ears, slow to speak, quick to listen, all those sort of things. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Here it is in a nutshell. You want to be carriers of the hope. You want to live out your your relationship with God. You want to you want to do what God calls you to do. Here's the complexity of it all. Here's how difficult it is. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this: to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Full stop. Look after the vulnerable. Look after those who have, in this culture, no hope, no security, no support. You be carriers of hope for them and do not allow the world to shape you, but allow the word of God to be the one that shapes you. That is what we're called to do. And if we get that right, if we get that right, if you get that right, the next time I come to Wangaratta, there will be a huge difference because the, the community will see hope. The community will experience hope. And those who are vulnerable, those who are lost, those who, who have no way of helping themselves will meet the one who can be their saviour, who gives them all the hope that they need. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word that's a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Father, may you help us to be your servants, to live out what you've taught us in the way you've shaped us. And Father, may we go this week seeing what you see in our community, seeing the lost, the struggling, those who seem to be hopeless. Father, may we see them and may we respond with your love, your grace and your hope. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.